those of you who remain, uh, we're going to read the scriptures together before uh, we consider God's word in some detail. I would ask you uh, to stand as you're able for the reading of God's word. The scripture I'm going to read starting in verse 22 of Galatians chapter 5 and read through the end of the chapter, verse 26. So um, when I'm done reading, I'm going to say uh, thanks. No, I'm going to say this is the word of the Lord, and you'll say, thanks be to God. I'm so sorry. I, I, I get very nervous during this. Um, verse 22. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have been have crucified the flesh with its passions and if we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not be confused, provoking one another, This is the word of the Lord. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Okay. Well, we, re- we return to the, the fruit of the Spirit as our study this morning after a brief hiatus last week, uh, in part because I was sick. And uh, uh, Pastor Martin had a pinch hit, I guess. Is that sort of the last minute? Yeah, okay. Um, But we're returning to this section of the Scriptures that is often referred to as the fruit of the Spirit. Uh, We've been studying Paul's letter to the Galatians for some time now. And (coughs) Paul has made the case very strongly, made it repeatedly, that justification, that is, Salvation, a a person being made right before God, is a work that is accomplished by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. Paul has made that case persuasively and firmly in Galatians. It is not by our works or by our religion or our religiosity that God is pleased with anyone or saves anyone or justifies anyone. Nobody can save themselves by their own work or lifestyle, but it's trusting in Christ alone and his grace to save. Now, the question that comes up when we talk about such things is, well, does that make how we live our lives now irrelevant? If it's not by how we live our lives, then we're saved. Does it matter how we live our lives? And the answer that Paul has given is, yes, it does matter. It is not irrelevant in the slightest because trusting in Christ is not merely an intellectual or theoretical thing. Rather, it is intensely personal and therefore it is intensely practical. To trust in Christ as our Savior, to know him as our Lord, to be reconciled to God in Jesus Christ is to be in union with Christ. It's to have a real connection with him. In fact, it's to have his spirit, the Holy Spirit, the spirit of Jesus Christ to really dwell in us. And for that to be born out in our real lives. In other words, that those who trust in Christ will walk with Christ as he walked. We will conduct ourselves in keeping with his teaching and his example and his character. We will live as his friends and not as his enemies. Therefore, real union with Christ has real results. A certain 
sort of results in a person's life. There's a certain fruit that is born in a person's life when they are a Christian. And these are the qualities that are here described as the fruit of the Spirit. They are the the produce of the presence of the Spirit of Jesus Christ in a person. Now, we've been considering these one by one. We've talked about love and joy and peace and patience. And today, we're going to give our attention to kindness. The fruit of the Spirit is kindness. Now, I've got three points if you are a a note taker. first one, we're going to spend a few minutes defining what kindness really means here. Then we're going to consider the kindness of God towards us, and then we're going to consider kindness manifest in his people. So first, we need to define what exactly is meant by the word kindness. Um, When I say kindness, what comes to mind? When I say You should be kind. Be sure that you're kind. What's the mental image? Is there even a mental image? Kindness, I think, for for some of us, is a a very positive but also very vague quality, isn't it? The sort of thing that we would generally attribute to somebody like Mr. Rogers. Truly a kind man. Something like that. But, but, but exactly what it is that, that is kindness is difficult to, to pinpoint and put our finger in. Something maybe niceness? Well, what's being expressed here uh, in the scriptures is it's actually quite a bit deeper than just niceness. And uh, it'll come as no surprise to you. It's much more demanding than just niceness. For the sake of time, I will spare you a protracted word study here. I'll just jump right to the conclusion. The, the word translated kindness here in our text, it, it communicates something of a compassionate and sympathetic posture toward others. It indicates a warmth and a tenderness towards others. Uh, in his commentary on this text, John MacArthur described it as a sympathetic gentleness directed towards others. Commentator John Eady calls it gentleness, affability, a benign heart, and a soft nature. Martin Luther said a whole lot about it, but one of the things he says about it is that it is a gentle, mild, courteous, and fair-spoken spirit, well-contented, to yield and give place to others, contented to bear with their faults. Now you notice a theme in what all of those folks are drawing out of this? It is gentleness. And in fact, some versions of the scripture, some English versions, translate it as gentleness. The way we have it translated here in the English Standard Version, gentleness is a few later on. Pastor Martin's going to preach a sermon on that text, gentleness, the fruit of the Spirit being gentleness. But when he gets to that point, I think we're going to see that the word translated there uh, is a little bit more along the lines of meekness and humility. And the word that we have today, kindness, I think maybe tenderness would be a good way to think of it in English. 
kindness is a posture of tenderness towards someone else. A softness rather than a sharpness and a hardness in dealing with others. A warmth rather than a coldness towards Now, because we're talking about matters of the heart, it can be difficult to describe. But I think the kindness that that is described here that I'm talking about is not difficult to identify. It's difficult to talk about, but it's not difficult to see. Imagine for a moment, I'm going to illustrate, and no surprise to most of you, I'm going to illustrate with a picture from the realm of parenting small children. Uh, Because that's kind of my wheelhouse at this point in my life. Imagine for a second that you are a parent, and some of you have been in this situation. You have a two-year-old who's sitting in a chair at the table, and the two-year-old is pushing back from the table, rocking back on the back two legs of the chair. Some of you have seen that. And you tell the child, do not do that. You're going to fall and you're going to hurt yourself. Don't push back at the chair like that. And you stop, and then when you're not looking, they, they start pushing back again. And uh, you are you look away for a moment to attend to something else. You hear a shout. You look over just in time to see this child in that moment of zero gravity. They've hit the, you know, the the tipping point, and the chair starts to go back. And let's say a, a, a glass of milk gets knocked over, and a plate of spaghetti goes up, and then, wham, on the floor. You hear the the, the head of the two-year-old hit the hardwood floor, and thankfully their heads are fine, but you, some of you maybe have been in that situation, you've, you've seen that. Now, the child is crying, the child is hurt, the child is a mess, they've gotten themselves into a mess. Now, what is a parent to do? Well, a parent is going to help, a parent's going to get up, a parent's going to, to gather the child up off the floor, uh, attend to the injuries and try to comfort them, try to clean them up, maybe get a fresh change of clothes, maybe even a bath, depends on how much spaghetti was on the plate. Clean the stuff up stuff up off the floor. Sweeping up spaghetti is not fun, but clean the milk that's spilled up. Comfort the child, put him back in the chair, maybe even get them another plate of dinner. That's what a parent is going to do. But the posture of the parent's heart towards that child while they are doing it is another question. It is entirely possible for a parent to stand up in a situation like that and say, I told you, I told you, and go snatch that child up off the ground and brush the spaghetti off of them with anger, with a harshness, with a coldness and a hardness and a sharpness to them. It's also entirely possible for a parent to say, go gather them up and tend to them. There might be a tenderness and warmth there in the help, and there might not be. And that's the kindness being described here, that the presence of a tenderness and warmth. Now, I'm not saying it's the absence of frustration. I'm not saying it's the absence of justice, even. And every parent has tasted the deliciousness of irony when the child disciplines themselves by falling off the seat. I'm not saying you have to be completely ignorant of that. 
It's not even the absence of rebuke. It's not even the absence of discipline. But it is the presence of gentle, sympathetic compassion even in the midst of it. That child might need to be told, I told you. But how is it said? How is the one saying? Is there warmth or coldness? Is there compassion or anger? Is there tenderness or hardness and sharpness? That's the presence of kindness. Again, it's easy to identify. I think children, you are very good at identifying it in your parents. There's a difference between go to bed and go to bed. It can be coming from a very hard place or from a tender and warm place. Parents, I think that you are probably pretty well skilled at identifying it in your children. There's such a thing as a, as a rebellious yes man. Have you heard one of those before? Through gritted teeth, yes man. I think probably many of us who are married, we're very able to identify it in our spouses. Yeah. It's very easy to identify the coldness and the hardness of someone technically kinder than you. I think there are probably many wives in here uh, that are, are very much aware and you know, the sharpness and the gentleness of there are, there are many husbands that are very sensitive and aware when a wife is irritated and hard-hearted. We identify it in our friends, too. Our neighbors, our co-workers. We identify it here in the church. The presence of kindness. In our interactions with one another. In our conflict. Is there a tenderness and a warmth there, or is there not? You can even tell here in the pulpit. I'm talking to a lot of people here who've heard a lot of sermons over the years. I mean, you know that a sermon on kindness could be preached with kindness, or it could not. You've probably heard sermons on the love of God that were preached with such a sharp edge. I regret to say maybe some of you have missed where there is a scolding tone speaking of the tenderness of God. I've heard things happen. Friends, are we kind? I don't mean that in a theological level. But I mean in a, in a real tenderness and warmth to each other. Is the climate of our fellowship generally one of warmth and tenderheartedness? In our homes, in our church, are our interactions with one another characterized by sympathy and gentleness? I think no one would argue with me on that. I think we should. We should. We of all people should. We are worshipers of a kind and tender-hearted God. And we live because of the mercy of kind and tender-hearted Savior. Now, I'll come back to us in a moment, but let's consider the kindness of God. Let's look at 2.2. 2. 
to say that God is kind, again, is one of those things that it really is a deeply profound thing, but in English, the way, the way that we it just comes across as so light and pleasant. But God is kind. And again, not, not I'm not saying it nice. In some, I don't want to, I want to beat up on Mr. Rogers here. Or spoil his old sermon, but it's not that kind of just a blah niceness that we're talking about. When we say God is kind, we mean that the the living God of heaven, the God who is there, was there before any of us were born. The Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, that God is a real person. And in his personal heart and soul. There is a real, deep, rich, gentle sympathy and warmth and tenderness towards others like I've been talking about. That's not just a feeling. The scriptures testify to that. Psalm 145.13 very clearly says that the Lord is kind in all of his works. And there's a couple places to you from the prophets that sort of express this as a, a tender heart of God. Hosea chapter 11, the Lord is speaking of the mercy that he's going to have to his people. In verse 7, he says, my people are bent on turning away from me. Again, this is the, this is the voice of God speaking. Though they call out to the Most High, he shall not raise them up at all. How can I give you up, O heaven? How can I hand you over to how can I make you like Adma? How can I treat you like Zeboim? My heart recoils within me. This is God speaking. My compassion grows. Warm and tender. I will not execute my burning anger. I will not destroy Ephraim. For I am God and not a man. The Holy One in your midst. Shall not come to pass. The Lord God speaks of the rebellious children of Israel that are looking upon him. How can I give you up? My heart is warm within me with compassion towards children. A more familiar passage, one of my favorite passages, is in Isaiah chapter 49. If you were at All Nations Church for years, that would be familiar. In Isaiah 49, verse 14, Zion says, the Lord has forsaken me. My, my Lord has forgotten me. And then the Lord responds, verse 15. How can a woman forget her nursing child? That she should have no compassion on the son of her womb. Even me you will forget me not. Behold, I have engraved you in the palms of my hands. Your walls are continually before me. The God of heaven rebellious sinners. The nursing mother might have put her child in the palms of God as well. I've written your names in my hand. The walls, the city, your, your good is always before me. Friends, when the Father of all creation looks down on us, his sinful fallen children, we tip the chair back wounded ourselves, filthy in our rebellion, our foolishness. 
when he looks at us, his attitude is not one of coldness, sharpness, hardness, because we deserved everything we got. In fact, we deserve so much more. Rather, the God of heaven looks on us with favor, with compassion, with kindness. The heart of God is warm toward the sinner. The Lord Jesus described his father this way, did he not? When he walked on the earth and taught in Luke chapter 6, he, he speaks explicitly of how kind the father is to even those who are ungrateful and evil. In Luke chapter 15, he tells that parable of the, the prodigal son, and, and the father is the one who rushes down off the porch to embrace his son and receive him. There's no coldness and hardness there. But more than just describing the Father's kindness, the Lord Jesus himself is the manifestation of that kindness, isn't he? He is the, he is the radiance of God's kindness and his coming. This is sort of what Paul's referring to in Titus chapter 3 when he says, when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, he saved us. The kindness of God has come. The fact that Jesus Christ, who is God himself, came to us in our need, the fact that he came that he did not just stand in heaven with his arms crossed and a scowl on his face and his back but rather he comes unasked for and not only does he come he comes in the flesh to bear our burden to bear the burden with us for us and to do so willingly to go to the cross that's the ultimate of a tender heart towards sinners, of the warmth of God towards those who've rebelled against Him. That He goes to the cross to pay for our sins. That He goes in our place. He says, let your condemnation fall on me so that you might live. There's the kindness of God. Now, we know that He is not devoid of justice, not even devoid of anger. I mean, this is the Christ who turned over tables who pronounced woes and warnings and condemnation. But it is also the Christ whose heart is clearly tender towards those who come to faith. This is the Christ who stands outside of Jerusalem days before the crucifixion and weeps. Remember that? He comes to look upon the city. My heart would be in my throat if I came to be crucified and look down at the city that was going to be crucified. I'd be steeling myself to get through the trial. What is Christ doing? He weeps on Jerusalem. That tells us his heart. This is the Christ who, in the act of the crucifixion itself, while he's being nailed to a cross, he prays for those who are doing the nailing. Forgive them, Father. They know not what they do. He wasn't doing it through gritted teeth. He wanted them to be forgiven. That's why he had to come. That's the tender heart of God. I've said this to you many times before. It is so important that we remember that that is who Jesus Christ is. It is so important that we, that we remember that that's what he's like. Tender hearted and warm with compassion towards sinners. Not in some silly surface way, but in a deep and rich and life-giving way. 
the heart of God, the heart of Christ, is a heart that is tender towards sinners. Now, does that mean there's no such thing as a judgment for sin? Does that mean on the final day, the Lord Jesus will wink at all of humanity and I'm too nice to ever condemn anyone to go to hell. No, it does not mean that at all. His tenderness does not excuse sin. All who do not come to Him for mercy will perish in sin. He is the way, the only way. But it does mean, friends, now listen to me, it does mean there has never been and there will never be a sinner who comes to Him for mercy and finds no one. There will never be one who comes to Him and finds a hard heart. There will never be one who comes to Him and finds sharpness instead of tenderness. Finds Him unwilling to forgive. Now there may be some, there may even be some here in this room in the hearing of my voice who will find themselves in a place of judgment on the final day. But listen, it won't be because of a lack of kindness. It won't be because of a lack of tenderness. It won't be because of an unwillingness to forgive and condemn. It won't be because of his unwillingness at all. It will be because of his merciful All who come to him for mercy to come to him. Have you given up all the arguments? Have you given up all the problems? Have you given up all of the pretense? And come as a sinner to the only Savior who can forgive for who he is. That is true. He is coming today. He is here. The heart of the one who died on the cross has not changed and grown cold in his grief. He is tender-hearted towards us. Friends, you are Christians here. Have you sinned against God? Have you, have you slidden back into your old worship? Have you been unfaithful? He has not grown cold towards you. Return to him. Even now, his heart is still tender to you. The cross makes that crystal clear. I mean, th- we think about it. Will, will he who died for you turn you away when you come to him? Will the one who poured out his own blood to save sinners turn them away when they come to him? Absolutely. Never. This is who he is and will always be. And this is why the fruit of the Spirit, his Spirit in us, matters. The third point here last point that I want to make is the kindness of God manifests in us by the Spirit. The Spirit of Jesus Christ, this kind Savior, is put in us at the new birth. Dwelling in us. Renewing our nature. His own Spirit. So of course, His kindness this tenderheartedness and warmth that we're talking about, it is to be manifest in his people. Not perfectly, not instantly, but really and progressively. Put it another way. 
Christians are to become. Now that might sound obvious, that might sound flippant, that might sound simplistic. Again, remember, I'm not talking about just a, a niceness or a personality. Not a veneer of politeness where all we do is smile and flatter each other. No, we are to speak the truth to one another, are we not? The scriptures are clear about that. But how are we to speak the truth to each other? The scriptures are clear about that too. We're to speak the truth to each other in love. We are to speak the truth to each other. We interact with each other, relate to one another with the tenderness and sympathy and compassion and warmth that characterized our Lord. We are to be kind to one another. Not just when we feel like it or some of the time. That's the way the world operates. The scriptures are clear about this. I mean, we, I, won't, I won't read a bunch of passages to you. I'll read a couple passages to you. But I mean, think about Think about when the Apostle Paul starts to speak, the Holy Spirit starts to speak about relationships in the home in Ephesians chapter 5 and chapter 6, the way husbands are to treat their wives, the way wives are to treat their husbands, the way parents are to treat their children. Friends, it is this kind of tenderness and kindness that he's speaking of. Listen, brothers, you're to love your wives. You're to be tender to them. My brother Don a few Saturdays ago spoke at the, the men's prayer meeting. And he said boldly, brothers, you're never to be sarcastic with your wives and cutting them. And that cut me up. I don't know if Don was intending to be, but there were there were many brothers in there. I mean, who can argue with that? To love our wives. To be sharp. Not to be severe. My wife, I know. I, well, I don't. I can only imagine how irritating it must be to Mary. Oh, but you're to be tender with your husband. You're to be merciful to him, patient with him, and warm to him. Yes. He does not know how to load dishwasher, by the way. That is true. Don't come at him with words like a knife. Be kind. Oh, parents, be kind to your children. Speak with a tenderness and a warmth and a compassion to them, even as you discipline them, even as you rebuke them. Don't communicate to them that they are an irritation to you. Oh, and children, speak kindly to your parents. Speak respectfully to them. Honor them in the way that you talk to them, in the way that you treat them. Be tender to them. Know they are not perfect. Sometimes they say things that are inconsistent. Sometimes they make promises and don't keep them. Sometimes they make mistakes. Sometimes they sin. Do not seize upon their sin and use it to stab them later shame them. Be kind to them. Be tender-hearted with them. That is to be the character of our homes. And friends, it is to be the character of our church. It's not just in family relationships that the Scripture speaks of. In Ephesians chapter 4, we read this. Paul speaks to the whole church. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. 
Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Now listen to this. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another. That is to be the character of the church. One of the passages that often weighs heavily on my heart, and I have prayed many, many times, is First Peter chapter three, verse eight. Finally, all of you have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, tender heart, and humble humble mind. This is the will of the God of God for the church. This is the will of our Savior for his people. Not just in some of us sometimes, not just in those of us that share the temperament and personality with Mr. Rogers. All of us. All the time. To relate to one another with kindness, with a tender and friends, the reason for that is because for Christians, kindness is not merely a matter of personality or circumstance or lifestyle choice. It is part of our identity in Jesus Christ, our new identity in Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ, his person united to us, his gospel, it makes us kind. I don't mean that automatically or mystically or arbitrarily as if we, we put our trust in Christ over here and then kindness just springs up over, over here out of the ground in an unrelated way. I mean really, actually, organically, as we believe in him, as we lean on him and trust in him, we are changed to be made kind like him. The tender-hearted kindness of our Savior is manifest in us as we believe his gospel, and trust in him and his tender mercy to us. Now, let me, let me give you a couple, I'm almost to the end of what I have to say. Let me give you a couple very specific sort of ways this dynamic works. I'll just give a couple examples. There are many ways to think about it. But I think one of the ways, much of the hardness and coldness and unkindness in the world is the product of pride. We know this. You know, I'm significant and you're not. I, I'm not tender towards you. I'm not warm towards you. I'm not compassionate towards you or sympathetic because you don't matter. I don't care. Or I don't care about your needs. I don't care about you. I care about me. So why would I be kind to you? We don't think that out loud, of course. But that is very much the dynamic of the heart that's in the world. Why much kind unkindness exists. Friends, we know that the church is not like the world in that way. It is not so in the church that I'm significant and you're not. The cross solved all of that, didn't it? I mean, what does the cross teach me about myself? My great significance? No. The righteous Son of God dying on the cross in my place teaches me that I am nowhere near as impressive as I imagine myself. I'm nowhere near as good and righteous and worthy of glory as I thought that I was. In fact, I would be a condemned sinner and a condemned sinner only. 
And not only that, but the fact that Jesus Christ is there dying on the cross, not just for me, but for all of his people, for all of the church. What does that say about you? It says that to him, you're just as significant as Christ. It says that to him, his heart of love towards you. If it were only you, he would have gone to the cross to die. That has a great corrective power. Opening the door for us to just enter life. I'll, uh, not plan, I'll illustrate this very quickly. Something just came to mind. When I was an intern here 15 years ago, some of you remember this. I was a much younger man. In fact, I was exactly 15 years younger. 15 years ago. Yeah. And uh, I was a young man, and like so many young men, I had a very high opinion of myself and what I thought, and I had a, uh, unfortunately, not as high opinion of everybody else and what they thought. I you know, had some Bible college training, and I thought I knew what, what needed to be done. I thought I knew what the church should look like. I thought I knew the way that everything should go, and people were on board with what I thought, and that was great, or they weren't, and therefore they were irrelevant to me. Or maybe they didn't like what I thought, and then they were a problem. No, I didn't carry myself that way. I don't think I would have even said it that way. But looking back now, far too much of that youthful arrogance was in my heart. And it was only a, it was a few years later. In reading, I remember it vividly, in reading Acts chapter 20, verse 28, the Apostle Paul tells the elders of the church to care for the flock as those for whom Christ there's absolutely nobody in the church who is irrelevant or an obstacle to the work of God. The people in the church are. The people in the church are the beloved for whom Christ died and poured out his blood. My heart broke for the church. The gospel cured me of hard heart. The gospel, we're all very much level at the foot of the cross. There's nobody in here who is a nobody. Because Jesus Christ poured out his blood for you. Jesus Christ himself does not consider equality with God something to grasp onto and turn himself away from. We're to have a mind like him. Considering others more significant than ourselves very much to be let me give you, I'll give you one more, uh, quickly, one more specific way this works. Much of the hardness of heart and coldness, I think, that we see around us in the world uh, is not just because of pride, it's because of pain. Because I've been hurt, or I'm afraid of being hurt. Something has wounded me, or I anticipate somebody wounding me. And a heart, there's a certain sort of... Uh, Hardness that is a refuge there's a, a there's a hardness of heart and a coldness that's a survival mechanism. I'm going to stuff and shut myself off so that I don't feel that way. And I think probably many of us have experienced that in some form or relationship. Well, again, the gospel is pure for us because we've not done we have another refuge. We have somewhere else to go other than the hardness of heart and coldness and pain. 
I, uh, I do not like being criticized. I like being praised. Does anyone else feel that way? Anyone else have that experience? <laughs> I think that's probably pretty common to man uh, and woman. Uh, but I, I do think sometimes I have a particularly bad case of it. Uh, I'm a people pleaser. And I like when people say nice stuff about me. And it keeps me up at night when they say mean stuff about me. I, uh, and sometimes, uh, some of you have seen it if you know me long enough, my poor wife has seen it. If that's left unchecked, it can become that particularly noxious blend of vanity and self-pity. Uh, I have I have that disease. Um, well, and in fact, it's part of it's something of an occupational hazard for me to receive criticism. People tell me what they think about me. Tell me stuff about me, about my preaching, about ministry, about decisions that I make, public things. People people give me their opinion, and sometimes when people give me their opinion about things and they criticize me, it hurts my feelings. I, I am a human being with feelings, and my feelings get hurt. And sometimes when that happens, just recently, somebody was was giving me some probably perfectly legitimate criticism, and it hurt my feelings. And as they were doing so, I could feel my heart starting to go out. I could almost, I could feel the chill as I realized what was going on. I I could feel myself distancing. I could feel myself toughening. You know what I mean? Becoming defensive. Sharp words in my mind. Counterattacks. Or, you know, there there was nothing of a tenderness and a warmth in me at that moment. Winter fell in my heart. But I did remember the Lord's words. As I was struggling with this, I remembered the Lord Jesus who wept for Jerusalem, who prayed for sinners being killed. I remembered his tenderness for me. I remembered all the years that he has been patient with me. All the times that I have turned around and in my sin I have cut him. But he has not drawn back from me. He has rather drawn near. I remember his soft heart, his warm And I remembered that he said, come to me, all who are weary. I remembered that that Psalm 2 says, blessed are those who take refuge in you. I remembered that I've got a refuge other than hardening my heart and stealing my resolve, turning sharp words back for sharp words. I have another place to go. I have this tender-hearted Savior who will keep me no matter what happens. No matter what people no matter what people say about me, no matter what what happens in conversation or in relationship, no matter what kind of pain comes or hurt is there, he's not going to abandon me. He's not going to forsake me. He's going to keep me. He's going to hold me fast, as we sang a few minutes ago. And friends, it doesn't always happen like this for me. Sometimes it takes days or weeks or even years. But as this was happening recently, I could feel my heart starting to warm. It was as if I, by faith, my heart had come before Jesus Christ and he was a fire of earth. 
and my whole body, icy hot, hurt feelings and aches. Because he he has the power to understand and he has the power to melt hot feelings many of you will testify with me and I will tell all of you with the authority of the scriptures with the authority of my own life having lived it out there is a fire in the heart of Christ that will melt a cold heart it will he will There is a tenderness about him that will do great work in our hearts and make us one. So that the fruit of the Spirit, kindness, is wrought in us. So listen, I'll end with this application and just a few sentences. Brothers and sisters, this week examine yourself. I would encourage you to examine yourself. Think about your life through the lens of kindness the way that we've been talking about today. Tender-hearted warmth towards others. Are you kind? This is not a comfortable thing, but I think it's important to do a little bit of self-examination. We all think of ourselves as kind people. So you get down to the brass tacks, are we being kind? And listen, if you identify in yourself a coldness and a hardness and a sharpness, that you recognize should not be there. It is not right for the people of God. Then very deliberately go back to the fire that we've been talking about and warm yourself with it. Do think about His tenderness. Do think about His mercy. Do think about His gentleness. Martin Luther says, I don't know where he gets this from, I hope it's real. He said that the Apostle Peter was known to often weep when he remembered the sweet tenderness of Christ. When he would think about the character of Jesus and the gentleness and the kindness of Jesus, he would often weep because of it. Often think of the kindness of Christ. Go to Gethsemane in your car with the praisers and have your own heart melted there in the cold. And then, friends, if, as you're thinking about if you see in yourself unkindnesses towards others in the home, in the church, times when the tongue has been sharp, when the shoulder has been cold, when the heart has been hard, confess and ask forgiveness of those things. Confess unkindness. Confess hardness. If it's appropriate. Brothers, if you've not been kind to your ask you that. Fathers, mothers, if you've not been kind to your children, if you've not been tender to them, if everything you've said is right and true, but boy, the way you've said it has all kinds of coldness and sharpness and hardness. Asking your children to forgive you won't undermine your kindness to them. It will establish the gospel and lift them up. Brothers and sisters, we must be Where we should let the tenderness of Christ, where we need it, go to Christ to have our hearts melted. Let's let's pray. Our Father in heaven, thank you for loving us. Thank you for never going hard to us and helping us. 
oh, how justified you would be in being part of the way. But that is not who you are. Thank you for that. Thank you for showing us at the cross. Oh, help us to remember and believe in faith, real faith in the truth. And oh, Christ, make us a tender-hearted, compassionate, kind people. Make Grace Church a tender-hearted church. Have mercy on us, we ask. In Christ's name.